This morning we want to look at verses 113 to 120. If you would like to use a Bible from the church, you, sh- you could grab one in front of you. And if you turn to page 515, that will also get you to our passage today. Thank you guys for leading us as we sing to the Lord. And, and uh, the, the, uh, we just are grateful for you guys who are uh, uh, Brian and Brandy have been out with COVID, and, uh, and so, but I think they're recovering, and perhaps as early as next week, they'll be, they'll be back with us. We're grateful for that. I think the Hamptons, they're all recovering as well, and Lord willing, they'll be back with us uh, next week as well. Psalm 119, beginning at verse 13, 113, this is God's word for us, and here's what God says. I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Depart from me, you evildoers, that I may keep the commandments of God. Uphold me according to your promise that I may live, and let me not be put to shame in my hope. Hold me up that I may be safe and have regard for your statutes continually. You spurn all who go astray from your statutes, for their cunning is in vain. All the wicked of the earth you discard like dross. Therefore, I love your testimonies. My flesh trembles for fear of you, for I am afraid of your judgments. You may be seated. Thank you, Father, for your word. There's no word like your word, and to have your word in front of us is a gift. It's a treasure, and our prayer is that now your spirit will be with us and near to us, particularly now as we look at your word that your spirit would be stirring in our midst and in our hearts and minds, that we would see things from your word by your spirit that would alter the very way this morning we think and live and move about. Transform us by the power of your word, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, of course, we're back in Psalm 119. We're looking at Psalm 119, eight verses at a time. That's just the natural uh, unit uh, structure of this psalm. Psalm 119 as a whole just keeps underscoring and emphasizing for us the, the functional and the practical value of God's Word in the life of a follower of Christ. And each eight-verse unit underscores that functional and practical value of God's Word with, with, a, with its own particular emphasis. And I would suggest to you that the emphasis in 113 to 120 is uh, concerning dependence upon the Lord, trusting and entrusting ourselves uh, to the Lord. Uh, These eight verses in particular express the psalmist's dependence upon the Lord. And in so doing, they can orient and reorient us 
to see something of the need and, and, and the grace and the beauty of trusting in the Lord. I will divide these eight verses into two segments, four verses apiece. And yet, I'll do this in an unusual way. There's, I think there's an interesting, intriguing structure to these eight verses. The, the structure is not simply uh, 113 through 116 and then 117 through 120. No, two things I want to say this morning. First, I want to look at the essence of dependence upon the Lord, and that will be in verses 116 and 117. And then I want us to look at something of the evidence of dependence upon the Lord, and that will be in uh, 113 through 115, on the one hand, and uh, one. Uh, uh, 18 through 120 on the other hand. In other words, here's the unique structure of these verses. They, these two segments mirror each other. Verse 116 mirrors verse 117. Uh, verse um, 115 mirrors verse 118 through 119a. And then verses 113 and 114 mirror or parallel, if you want to use that word as well, uh, 119b through 120. Right, so let's, let's, let's wade through this, this mirroring effect by, first of all, just looking at what I'm calling the essence of dependence upon the Lord. Look at how he, in a sense, repeats himself in 116 and 117. Um, and you can see this, it's plain, where he starts out in 116, uphold me according to your promise. And then how does verse 117 begin? Hold me up that I may be safe. Do you see those two mirroring or paralleling each other? He is, he is stating something very important to us about the essence of dependence upon the Lord. Now, before I look more particularly at the essence of dependence upon the Lord, I want to say this, just in general. Trust is a universal human phenomenon. Trust or dependence is something that every human being does. Now, I know there's, I've said this, uh, and we've probably all said this, we've, we've said, we just, we're so fed up with the world around us, we just say, oh, I don't trust anybody. Well, even that statement reflects the universal quality of trust or dependence, because it's true, we look around and we see goofballs and knuckleheads and, and whatnot, and, uh, and so really what we're saying is, but I still trust myself. So, so really, the statement, I don't trust anybody, uh, is probably rooted in self-trust, self-reliance. Uh, trust is a universal human phenomenon. There's not a single person on the face of this earth who's living and breathing, who's not living and breathing and operating in a, in a sense of dependence upon someone or something. And, that, and therein lies the, 
the distinctiveness, while human, while while trust or dependence is a universal human quality, the object of that trust is legion. I would suggest to you that the reason why trust or dependence is a universal human quality is. Well, we were created by God to live dependently upon Him. We were created, if you would, a part of our very DNA as human beings. We were made to depend upon Him, to trust in Him. And yet, what the fall did was, it, 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 well, it didn't completely undo our design to, 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 to be people who trust or depend upon something. It just distorted greatly distorted the object of that trust. In other words, when Adam and Eve got booted out of the garden, they didn't stop trusting. They just, they just struggled with what to focus upon as the object of their trust. And all of humanity since then hasn't ceased from operating out of a heartbeat of dependence upon someone or something. It's just, it's just that it becomes blurry, and, and it seems like we have a, a wide spectrum of options that are, that are making promises to us as to who or what to trust in. But by the grace of God, when the Spirit of God comes into a heart and a, and a life, a, a, a profound level of, a ch- of change occurs, which enables a reorientation. Our eyes are opened. We now see Jesus. We're no longer blind to Christ. And as our eyes are opened to see Jesus, we see Him as He is, as lovely, as beautiful, as, as majestic, as, as mighty, as trustworthy, as dependable. And so we gladly, willingly trust Him because the Spirit of God has changed our hearts and opened our eyes. I think the psalmist is reflecting the essence of that change. He's in the midst of difficult times. He's, this is probably Daniel. He's probably in exile. He's probably, in other words, he's living under a, an ungodly regime. But he has a sense, he has enough sense to know this. He has enough grace to give him enough sense to know this. Uphold me according to your promise. Hold me up that I may be safe. You see, there's an appeal here. The essence, the essence of dependence upon the Lord uh, funnels through an appeal. Uphold me. Hold me up. In other words, we, we, we see uh, where the true object of our dependence lies. We, we don't look around and see what sort of political promises are being made to me. What sort of, uh, what sort of human achievement is, is being offered to me? You know, we, we look up and we realize that, that it is God and God alone who can hold us up and who can uphold us. And so we, we, we see that and we look to Him and we call upon Him. It is His promises that we're banking upon. We live in a world 
full of promises. But many of them, while they sound wonderful and attractive, are empty. Help is on the way, we're told. And that's to alter the way we think, feel, and live. You see, our emotions are wonderful gifts that serve as a bit of a barometric gauge to, to, to help us to sort out we, that when, when we know something ain't right, but also to drive us to reassess the object of our trust, the, the focus of our dependence. What are you fearful of this morning? What, what are you angry about today? What are you worried about this week? What are you in despair over this month? What do you feel shame-filled about in your life? All of those emotions are real. And you can try to take the hammer and break the, the barometric gauge, but that doesn't make the, the reality of those emotions go away. You can, you, can, you can see those emotions for what they are. They're gauges to drive us, and, and to, uh, to alert us to, wow, I'm living out of the dependence of someone or something. Who am I depending upon? What am I depending upon? And we can appeal to our God, even this morning, at this moment, we can look to Christ. Now, why would you look to Christ? Well, because of who He is and because of what He has done. Who is He? Why is His promises better than anybody else's promises? He's God. He's God who took on flesh and lived a perfect life. He lived the life that was required of people like you and I to live that we haven't and won't and didn't live. And yet he went to the cross and there at the cross he, he laid his life down for us and for our salvation. He took upon himself our sins and bore up under the justice of our sins, experienced the curse that is due to us because of our sins paid the penalty of our sins. He he did that for you and I and for any and all who would call upon Him. Hold me up, dear Jesus. Uphold me, Lord Jesus. And with that appeal comes an assurance, an awareness, if you would. He says there, Uphold me, verse 16, 116, uphold me according to your promise that I may live. Uh, and let me not be put to shame in my hope. In verse 17, hold me up that I may be safe. He, he, the psalmist has this awareness that in, in appealing to the Lord to uphold him and to hold him up, he, he, he now has life. He now gets to experience safety. He now has um, a, a way out of his shame. All who look to Jesus, even for the first time this morning, But for many of us, we're not looking to Jesus for the first time this morning. But yet, it's just as real of an appeal. We don't look to Jesus perhaps for the first time this morning, but we re-up 
power looking to Jesus this morning. We, 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 we never grow static in our turning time and time and time and time and time again to Jesus. All who look to Jesus live. All who look to Jesus have a way of escape from our own natural innate shame. And all who look to Jesus will arrive safely home. And yet there's not just an appeal and an awareness, but there's also an alignment. With that, with the, the essence of dependence upon God is not that it alters just a little sliver of our life, but, but the essence of dependence upon God is a radical reorientation. Look at what he, how he expresses this in, at the end of 117, where he says in verse 16, Uphold me according to your promise, that I may live, that I may not be put to shame in my hope. Hold me up, verse 117, that I may be safe, and have regard for your statutes continually. You see, the essence of trusting in Jesus is not just, okay, look, I need to like tip my hat to the good Lord, and, um, and then I need to just figure out how I'm going to live my life in the meantime before I die. No, the essence of trusting in the Lord is entrusting our lives to the Lord. To follow Him and to pursue Him and to lean in toward His Word. To want to discover so that we might live according to His Word continually, constantly, consistently. The essence of trust is, is not just a, a one-time wink and nod at Jesus. The essence of trust is a, is a lifelong reorientation and radical transformation, which spills over into the second point that I want to make this morning, not just something of the essence of dependence upon the Lord, but also something of the evidence for or of dependence upon the Lord. And that's where we bump out from 116 and 117 and, and see what's going on. For when a person trusts in the Lord, and when a person ongoingly entrusts themselves to the Lord, then there are several elements of change that give evidence that it is the Lord whom we are trusting in. Trusting in the Lord alters our outlook, the way we look at everything. It, it, it alters our affections. That's why he would say in the second part of verse 113 and the, and the second part of verse 119. He says in, the, in 113, I love your law. What he says in the end of verse 119 I love your testimonies. How's your love life going? With God and toward His Word. TMI, I don't want to know it in a general sense, but, 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 but toward God and His Word. What affections are stirring in our hearts this morning? 
that, that he's not just given us this old, antique, dusty, crusty book that, well, I have no idea what, what, what's being said in this word, but that he's given us a living book. It's alive, it's powerful, and it's sweet to the taste. It's life-giving. It's life-altering. And when we see the Word of God rightly, because, because if, if, if we see the Word of God uh, 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 well enough to know that we should trust in the Lord, th- then that assumes that we've seen the Word of God enough to know how lovely it is. And that alters how we, in fact, now, we don't just like think a lot about the Word, but we love the Word a lot. That's why there, there really is the need to figure out how do we calibrate our week and our lives? How do we cultivate in, in our hearts and in our, our schedules uh, a, a consistent intake of God's Word? See, I love, I love me some Facebook. I love me some Twitter. I, 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 I love me some Instagram. I love me some... And I'm so limited in, in my age and, and whatnot. I mean, there's, I'm sure there's a half a dozen other mechanisms out there. To, and those are fine. There's no, there's, they're not inherently evil. But do you realize we turn to those because we think there's something delightful that I'm going to discover in these things. I'm going to read something. I'm going to see something that's going to make my heart flutter, that's going to alter and change my life. And, and, and so, in a sense, then we... While those things are permissible to use, we have to guard our hearts over cultivating and allowing affections to be cultivated toward those things. I would suggest to you that that they've been put together by pretty smart people who know know how to hook us and to keep us coming back. And that's fine. It is what it is. But if we have time to engage in those mediums of information, then we should sort out how it is we don't have time to engage God in His Word. This is just a, it's really a blunt way of putting it, but it really, a lot of it comes down to who or what do you love? So the, the outlook, the evidence of dependence upon the Lord is, man, I love God's Word because that, that describes to me what dependence upon my God looks like. That describes to me that I, I do have life in depending upon the Lord. I, I do have an escape from my shame in depending upon the Lord. I do have safety in depending upon the Lord. That's, that's just one of... Some of that's just three of many reasons why I love God's word. But another evidence of God's uh, that we're depending upon the Lord involves an admission, and that's the first part of verse thirteen. And uh, and, uh, but also uh, um, uh, just spills over into a part of of verses one eighteen and one nineteen. He says, "I, I." I hate the double-minded. 
Now, we've seen this a couple of episodes before. The, the psalmist, uh, in, in conjunction with his love for God and God's Word, he coupled that with his hate for, for that which is a, 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 the opposite of God and God's Word, that which is opposed to God and God's Word. And, and so, in the right sense, we're, we are to be haters, not, not, uh, not mean uh, or belligerent, but there are certain things that we should have a distaste and a disdain for. He says, I hate the double-minded. Now, let me, let me explain what I think that is. That, uh, many of us, and, and at one time or another, all of us deal with issues of what I would call doubt. I, I don't think in this particular episode the double-minded describes someone who is, is, um, is doubting uh, the Lord and the Lord's Word. In other words, I don't think this, this double-mindedness is an intellectual double-mindedness. I don't think it's a category of, of trying to sort out which way is up. This is a, this is a moral category. And the very, the very context here, I think, lays that out for us. This is not an, a struggle between doubt and belief. This is a struggle between disobedience and obedience. Just like at the start of the unit last week when he talked about thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The double-minded person is a person who's trying to live life going down two separate paths. I want to sort of kind of live this way in obedience to the Lord, and I want to kind of live this way in disobedience to the Lord. And uh, that's just a, just a foreign category uh, to, to, to Scripture. He, 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 he couples this admission with an assurance. Verse 114, you are my hiding place. You are my shield. He he just exudes great hope in the future of his life and in the present protection that surrounds his life. And yet yet he, he couples that with what he says in verse 120. My flesh trembles for fear of you, and I am afraid of your judgments. Now, let me, let me try to explain what I think he's expressing here in verse 120. It, 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 on the one hand, it feels out of place. It's like, wow, the, all the way through here, he's just expressed great confidence that, that the Lord will uphold him, that the Lord will hold him up, and, and, and that the Lord will be the one who is, gives him safety. So why is he now discussing the, the, this trembling fear that he has? I would suggest to you that in this context, the trembling fear that he has is not a trembling fear for himself. Look at verse 119. All the wicked of the earth you discard like dross. Look at verse 119. You spurn all who go astray from your statutes. What he's, what he's fearful for is he's fearful for the fate of those who have no regard for God. He's fearful for the fate of that, that awaits those who are enemies of God. He's, in other words, he's, this is a really sober moment for him. He, he, as sure as he realizes his safety, as sure as he realizes his future, he's, he's, 
he's very alert to, well, if this is my destination, what's the destination of those who are currently around me who are opposed to God and who are afflicting me? I mean, what's the natural? Look, if someone messes with you, if, if someone picks on you, if someone tries to, to, to hurt you, what, what's your natural response? Your natural response is to take matters into your own hand and, and to fix it. Which, if you think about it, is just another mechanism of self-reliance. I'm trusting myself to know what to do and how to do it at this moment in response to this person who's coming at me. I'm taking them out. But do you see, in essence, what the psalmist is saying is that, no, when I trust in the Lord, I trust even the outcome of my enemy's fate in the hands of the Lord. And when he thinks about that, he goes, oh, my, this, this is not going to be good for them. I, I don't revel in that. Do you see the level at which he's entrusting himself to the Lord at this moment? What if, what if, what if our, our society and our culture and even the, the political regimes that govern us decide that it's people like you and I who want to love the Lord and follow his word who are the problem, who need, who need to be re-indoctrinated and need to be re-educated? Which I've heard people say that this week in social media. Do you realize that if you love the Lord and you want to live your life under, in the direction of the Lord and therefore you want to work hard and keep your nose clean and, and, and provide for yourself and, 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 and raise your family and love your kids and teach them well and, and go to church and worship God and care for your brothers and sisters at church, do you realize you're the problem? So what will we do about that? What will we do about that? Will we entrust ourselves to the Lord? Or will we fight some fire with some fire? I mean, we've seen a whole year of violence perpetrated in our culture that seemingly was just fine. And now all of a sudden, we've learned that violence is not good. And you know what? We should be saying the both in same directions. No, violence is not good. We will entrust our future with the Lord, and we will entrust the fate of the enemies of God into the hands of God. Whoa. That's not going to go well for them. The other evidence uh, is, is not an evidence of affection, an evidence of an admission, an evidence of, of assurance, and just uh, an evidence of attitude. He captures that in 115 as well as 118. 
Interesting statement in 115. Depart from me, you evildoers. Now, how do we say that in the world where we're living in? I mean, just one of my favorite songs from 1969 was, or, or was it later? I don't know. But clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. How do we depart from evildoers? They are legion. Among other things, at the very least, there has to be a disposition or an attitude in our hearts. Now look, here's where it's hard to navigate. We are to not be of this world, but we nevertheless are currently in this world. And in the right sense of the term, we are to be for this world. We too want good things to come to all who live on this world. But we're to not like or love this world. And I think that's what the psalmist is getting at when he says these bold words in 115. Depart from me, you evildoers. Why? Why is he doing that? Just because he doesn't like the look on their face? In verse, second part of verse 115, that I may keep the commandments of my God. His attitude of, of distancing himself from evildoers is because he's aware of the undue influence of how evildoers can help shape our own mindset and our own heart regard for the Lord and His Word. His prime directive is to keep God's commands. And insofar as others would try to impede that or thwart that or to, or to undermine that, He wants nothing to do with them. As it turns out, His... I want to show you the play on words here. His appropriate attitude toward evildoers, where he says, depart from me, you evildoers, is mirrored or paralleled in what we've already looked at briefly, but what he says in 118. You spurn all who go astray. What the psalmist is just simply saying is the same thing that the Lord's attitude is, is, is that I, I want to I be guardedly cautious and keep my distance from evildoers. And, and what does the Lord say? And me too. I spurn evildoers. And yet, while it's not explicitly involved in this passage, I would, I would close with just a brief caveat to that. The Lord does and will spurn all who go astray. Oh, but the Lord will welcome all who come to him. This is the season to come to the Lord. There will come a day when the door is shut and the opportunity is expired. But this is the day that any and all who wish to turn to Christ to trust in Him, to follow in Him, will be gladly received and welcomed by the Lord. We, 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 we come as evildoers, but He comes, and in Christ He accepts evildoers for what they are, but He will not leave evildoers in that state. He will change us.
He will change all who come to him. He will transform our hearts that begins with a reliance upon him that then will filter out and change who and what we love, it, cha- it changed the, our, our convictions in life, it changed our assurance and, and how we would entrust our future to the Lord, and, and change our attitude toward everything on this planet. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for what your word says to us and how it teaches us and instructs us. Father, your word is precious. May We trust in your word, for may we be a people who are entrusting ourselves to you and depending upon you alone. For we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. I'll come back.